Welcome to the Shambhala Sunday Gatherings podcast. Each week, we invite a guest presenter from the Shambhala community to talk about what is meaningful to them or to share a brief Dharma talk. These explorations range from the reality of impermanence, death, and the unknown to how we express and work with joy, contentment, and fearlessness in our daily lives. Presenters offer a guided meditation or contemplation practice and invite reflections, comments, and questions from participants about the poignancy and complexity of our shared journey on planet Earth. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shambhala Sunday Gathering podcast. So welcome everyone. Welcome to the Shambhala Sunday gatherings this week with Jonathan Kirkendall and the community conversations team. Uh, my name is Tara Templin. If you don't know me, I'm a member of Shambhala Global Services and the Sunday gatherings team as well. It's my pleasure to be your host for this week's gathering. So each week for Sunday gatherings, we invite a guest presenter to lead us in a community practice and to talk about something that's meaningful to them or present a brief Dharma teaching. So at this time, it's my great pleasure to introduce uh, us all to Jonathan. Um, you may be familiar with Jonathan if you were able to join us in the first part. This is part two of our session, uh, Grieving in Shambhala. So um, you may know Jonathan, but if you don't, Jonathan is the son of Baptist missionaries and he grew up in Beirut, Lebanon, and Tehran, Iran. After the fall of the Shah, he attended Wake Forest University and moved to Washington, D.C. When he was 25, Jonathan survived a brutal beating at the hand of four assailants. In the year of recovery that followed, he discovered two things that played a key role in his recovery, meditation and psychotherapy, which eventually led him to Naropa University where he graduated in 1993 with a master's in contemplative psychotherapy. In 2006, Jonathan began working with the Tragedy Assistant Program for Survivors, a national nonprofit that works with military families on issues of grief and traumatic, traumatic loss. In 2015, he accepted the position of clinical director of youth programs directing grief camps throughout the US and developing trainings for active duty military on, on grief. During this time, he developed a specialty in addressing the needs of military children after death by suicide of a parent. Jonathan currently works with clients from around the world on issues of grief and trauma from his home base in Washington, DC, where he lives with his husband and two delightful poodles. He serves on the executive board of the Warrior Connection, an organization that holds residential retreat programs for veterans dealing with post-traumatic stress, moral injury, and grief. And he has been teaching in Shambhala since the late 90s. Um, I'd also like to mention the two community conversation facilitators that are with us today. Uh, Frederick, if you can give a little wave, Frederick, if people can find you, and Janet. Um, have both joined us today, and I'll, I'll ask them to introduce themselves a little bit later on if you if you don't already know these, these leaders in our community. So thank you all. Thank you, Jonathan, for being here today and leading us in practice uh, and sharing your, your wisdom on this important topic with us. So thank you. Um, so thank you, everyone, for coming. Um, it's really wonderful to be here. Uh, uh, there was a little bit of magic involved in um, this uh, in this part two of of grief um, of the grief talks. Uh, so I, I gave a, a talk which is available online. Um, I think I, I can't quite remember. Was it June or, or earlier than that? Yeah, uh, it may have been May. May or yeah, June. May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that um, that talk actually led me uh, to be invited to uh, present to the uh, community conversations group. Um, and, I, and I had so much fun doing it that we that what we decided to do was uh, create a ritual um, within that group and then and present highlights of that ritual uh, to the group here. 
Um, and so let me just tell you what, how I'm going to break down this talk today, um, because it will involve um, um, uh, some sort of like education stuff, um, but also some contemplation and practice stuff. Uh, and then, and then um, where we go from here um, and some resources. So um, before I begin, if we could all take our good posture and um, let us bow in to each other, offering each other our broken and courageous hearts. So um, I want to say that it is wonderful to see Alice uh, and Mary and uh, Rebecca McAllister. Rebecca, I've not seen you forever. It's really nice to see you on here. Um, so, um, so first I wanted to just talk a little bit about, um, about ritual, uh, why ritual. Um, we in the West uh, kind of have deconstructed uh, a lot of rituals that our ancestors may have been part of. Um, and, and in some ways, I think that we don't do ritual uh, very well. Um, so, so, so what is ritual? Um, I, uh, there's a quote that goes through my mind that um, I actually had attributed to another author and I cannot find this quote any, any, anywhere. So I'm beginning to think that I may have made this up. Um, but either I made up or I read at, at, in some book that I have now long forgotten um, that uh, grief work is soul work and the language of the soul is ritual. So we use ritual as a way of... Um, making perhaps making the universal or making the ultimate world more accessible to us ritual is a gateway um be between worlds we could say right um it is a way that it it, it, it embodying a specific reflection, and, and in this case, that reflection is grief, embodying it in the words that we say, in the way that we sit, in the, in the, uh, uh, with the attention and in, and in, and a very specific intention. So when we open ritual, um, uh, when we open circles, when we, when we do us, uh, uh, um, When we do the invocation um, and do a la song before an activity that's that's opening the gates to something bigger um, than just our physical world. And in that big space, our grief doesn't get smaller, but the container, our container, the container of our mind can grow to hold that grief. There is um, a wonderful uh, book out that just came out. I do not know how to, um, um, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. His first name is Casper. It's C-A-S-P-E-R. The middle, the, the, and then, and then the last name is uh, two words, Terquila. So the first, uh, the first part is spelled T-E-R and the second part is capital K-U-I-L-E. And he, he wrote a book called uh, The Power of Ritual. And why I really like this book is that uh, he is an, an, a non-theist. And so he's really looking at ritual as a way of developing and, and giving us meaning in our lives. And he does it from a non-theistic point of view. The book reads a little bit like... Uh, a guidebook for Shambhalians trying to create sacred world. So I I would I would highly recommend I would highly recommend it um, if you have a chance to get it. it. In this book, 
he says that a ritual requires three things. It requires our intention. It requires our attention. And it requires repetition. So those three things are intention, attention, and repetition. So think about maybe the, the, the first time um, you encountered a law song ceremony. And you know, maybe, maybe the first time we stumbled over words or or we thought, okay, what is this cult that I'm getting into? <laughs> or uh, 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 these people are weird. What am I doing here? Right. Um, and then and then think of maybe the last time you experienced a law song where we kind of we know what it's for. It's you know, it's a vehicle for opening, opening a new year, opening a program. Um or or maybe you would have a, a law song in a new house or a new property. So there's a there's you know that that move from oh that sort of discomfort of of ritual and into sort of giving yourself over to the ritual. Um, you know now when we come to a law song, we know we're we're opening, we're we're sort of entering uh, what we might refer to as non ordinary reality. And that that's the power of that repetition. So intention is setting an intention, obviously. Attention is about paying attention throughout the ritual. And then the repetition is doing this more and more often um, and, and until it sort of enters into our bones. So if you think about um, walking a dog, right? So you can you can walk your dog uh in the in the mornings this is actually a ritual that that my husband and i do in our neighborhood and we started during the shutdown is just walking the dogs in the morning through the neighborhood and we put our phones away and we say hello to the neighbors uh and we so so our intention is this is how we're going to start our day our attention is is paid to our surroundings to the dogs not paying not not looking at our phone as we're walking um, and then the repetition is is that sort of everydayness. And you know, throughout the shutdown, and now that we've moved beyond that and whatever whatever time that we're in right now, um, that some refer to as post-pandemic, um, that that morning ritual for us has become very important. And interestingly, we have gotten to know so many of our neighbors. So we've actually created community through this ritual. it's it it it's walking the dogs, but it's opened a world bigger than just walking dogs, right? So that's the power of ritual. Um, the last thing I wanna do is um, uh, about uh, on, on ritual. Actually, I wanted to say a few more things first. Um, if, if it is possible to do a ritual outdoors, it is always more powerful to hold these sorts of, of practices in nature. Nature has a very profound effect and impact on, on uh, on either on grief work or on ritual, um, uh, nature is in and of itself without having to change it. Nature is sacred. Nature is healing. So, so if you can have a ritual in nature, that's recommended. If you cannot have a ritual in nature, decorate your space with nature. Bring in rocks to set up a shrine. Um, have a bowl of water there. Um, bring in whatever elements you can into the um, uh, uh, into the ritual space. Just lighting a candle can do that too. Bringing in fire energy, bringing in earth, a stick of incense for air, um, flowers, whatever. Bring bring nature in. Um, and this quote actually speaks a little bit to that. So let's just listen to the quote and then I'll give you the author's name and the name of the book. We were not meant to live shallow lives, hawked by meaningless routines and the secondary satisfaction of happy hour. We are the inheritors of an amazing lineage, rippling with memories of life lived intimately with bison and gazelle, raven and the night sky. 
We are designed to encounter this life with amazement and wonder, not resignation and endurance. This is at the very heart of our grief and sorrow, the dream of full-throated living woven into our very being has often been called, sorry, has often been forgotten and neglected, replaced by a societal fiction of productivity and material gain. No wonder we seek distractions. Every sorrow we carry extends from the absence of what we require to stay engaged in this one wild and precious life. And every sorrow is made more difficult to metabolize by that absence. Grief work offers us a trail leading back to the vitality that is our birthright. When we fully honor our many losses, our lives become more fully able to embody the wild joy that aches to leap from our hearts into the shimmering world. So this is what ritual should be doing. It's a, it should be a joyful experience that opens us up into that shimmering world that reignites our heart. And that, so that quote, it's from uh, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Um, so ritual basically is how a community comes together um, to heal, right? And so often we as Westerners are so busy, we don't make the time for that. So the invitation really uh, during this talk is to make time to feel our losses, to feel the loss of uh, our, our vision of where maybe we thought we were going or who our teacher was, um, to heal from the, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this, the empty chairs in our life now. And this could be Shambhala, this could be the empty chairs, um, folks who have left, friends you have lost, roles you have lost. We call all of those, all of what we've lost to be present to us um, in this ritual. Okay. So um, I'm going to turn this over um, to Fred, um, who was part of the uh, uh, Shambhala Conversations group. Um, and what 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 we ended up doing was developing a ritual, um, kind of brainstorming a little bit about rituals that we already know and what 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 we can use. And bringing, you know, bringing our losses to bear on on developing a ritual, so that those losses then um, become our teachers. They become wisdom. They just sort of transmute transmute the grief and and the pain of all the changes we've all experienced over the past four years into a type of wisdom for us to move forward. So, Fred, if you would introduce yourself and then talk a little bit um, what the process was like for the group, that would be awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, can everybody hear me? Yeah, so process-wise, um, the Community Conversations team has been meeting for a while, uh, about two years. And uh, we started um, organizing conversations for the Shambhala community. There was a series of belonging in Shambhala conversations and many others. And over time, we've really learned a lot about how to hold space for all different kinds of conversations. And we've also developed a working relationship among the community conversations team that's really intimate and really um, sparky and uh, just, very, just very good. Um, we were able to 
argue, we're able to um, do scary things together, we're able to get things done. Um, and, and I think it all comes down to just the culture that we've built and also really the, the practices or um, the sort of way that we hold our meetings together. We, we sit for a bit at the beginning and then we build an agenda and we go through the agenda. So there's like a mixture of like good meeting practices and like kind of Dharma practices. And it's got this quality of, of um, being good meetings in the, you know, worldly sense, but it also feels like Shambhala. So that's sort of the, the team. And um, Jonathan came in, as he said, there was a fair amount of magic in it, just the way the timing worked out and really having access to Jonathan himself feels, feels and felt um, extremely fortunate. And I guess some things I'd, I'd want to sort of pick out about the process are, you know, as you, as you all know, Jonathan is um, extremely deeply immersed in grief and ritual work. And when he came in, he came in not as somebody who knows like the 200 checkboxes that you need to check to have a good ritual. He came in as somebody sharing the kind of things that he shared here. Like it's helpful to be in nature. It's helpful to, you know, invoke uh, the kind of idea of empty chairs, like these sort of big, very helpful orienting ideas. And it was just really extremely, um, he was genuinely open to what would what would something like this in Shambhala look like? So it wasn't a kind of like patronizing interest, like you guys, let's have you try it. Oh, that's not quite. And that's fully what I expected. I mean, I, I think you'd think there'd be a very right way and a very wrong way to design a grief ritual, but somehow it had this quality of like um, genuine, genuine collaboration between people with a lot of you know good heart and and someone with a lot of good heart and a lot of expertise. And that, that really stood out. Um, and so over some weeks, we designed a grief ritual. I wanna really mention the major contributions of Naoko Kojima, whom some of you might know. A lot of the design came from her and a lot of the most powerful parts of the design came directly from her. She had, uh, uh, she travels a lot and she was on this long plane flight and just a bunch of, and. I guess she just had, I don't know, she just sort of like channeled a lot on that flight. And so when she showed up the next Wednesday, um, most of the grief ritual, the skeleton of it was there. So um, she was extremely helpful. And she developed this way of looking at the grief that we're holding in Shambhala that um, that really invites this notion of ancestor or ancestors, really invoking your ancestors in the broadest sense. It could be your grade school teacher. It could be Abraham Lincoln. It could be your parents. It could be Padmasambhava. But these people who have, um, who have sort of brought us to this point and whose presence we want to invoke and then feeling, okay, here we are in Shambhala. And, you know, I think, for me, it's, I always think in terms of like the next couple of years or something like that, like here I am and what do I hope happens, you know, now. And what she brought us, brought to us was what kind of ancestor do you want to be? You know, how do you want to give into the future of Shambhala for the people who will come after us? So it's like this sweep of time was really profound, is really profound in the in the ritual that we ended up developing. And I, I kind of want to highlight that element. Um, so we developed a, a, a format and we went back and forth on it in a few weeks and then we piloted it on ourselves. And that feels important. Um, there's something, there's a related theme from Theory U, which some of you might be familiar with, it's just this feeling of like being within whatever system we feel like we're working on. So it's not like, let me design this thing that you guys need, but it's like, we're gonna try it on ourselves. It's sort of like 
um, it's kind of like fermenting from within. We try it on ourselves and it grows out from there, sort of like, um, like you know, bread rising or, or something like that. It's like kind of a fermentation process, not like we're going to come up with something and you're our target population. You're the customer. We're sort of we're the, um, we're within that. And we are grieving, you know, I mean, everybody in our, our group is wanted to do this pilot. We wanted to do it for ourselves. So we did. Um, and the pilot had this quality of some of the things John, Jonathan was alluding to had this quality of sacredness. And a lot of that, again, came down to some of the ways that Naoko, uh, who facilitated it, sort of held the experience, like her tone of voice and the way that time, that there would be time between different things. Um, so it very much had a feeling like, um, you know, like, like, like one might feel in a Shambhala level or something like that, of um, really being in, yeah, like a non-ordinary space, but a space of, of um, you know, real power because we took the, we, we took care to, to make that power, which I think is sort of what ritual is maybe, uh, or kind of a really sloppy definition of ritual. And um, yeah, it was a very powerful experience. We all experienced it very differently because we're all in very different places in terms of our grief and our, our path in Shambhala and so on. But it was just a really delightful opportunity to, to grow something from, from the inside in this really collaborative way and to try it and to see what happened. And um, that was basically the process. I hope I hit the major beats. I, if there's anything big I missed out, please let me know. Thanks, Fred. Um, I, that's that's really great. And we will have time at the end to talk um, about, uh, we'll have a question and answer time at the end um, to t if you have questions for Fred um, about the process. Um, a couple of things that that uh, before we get into the contemplations that I would I would add is that um, rituals, you know, everybody in this group uh, is coming ha has their own story, right? They have their own personal life, their own experience, their own experience of Shambhala, um, and everyone who did the pilot. Uh, um, I, so, so I wasn't present when they when they did the pilot, but I did. I was at the next meeting after when they shared their feedback. And the thing that touched me was how people coming from all different places could do the same ritual, and yet the the uh, um, when they kind of got through the ritual, the impact was again individually felt. Um, by each member, like it spoke to them where they were. So there's something about this universal process that does speak to the particular. So rituals need to be kind of big enough. And, and I'll point this out as we go through the contemplations. We, uh, rituals want to be big enough to be able to hold everyone who's, who's there, right? All right. Um, so I do. I want. I, if you guys haven't gotten a, a, a piece of paper and a pen, it, it will be helpful. Um, what we what we're going to do now is instead of going through the ritual, um, because I, I I believe if I'm remembering correct, it took about ninety minutes to go through the ritual. So what I've done is gone through and create four contemplations for us to do here online today to give you a taste of um, of sort of maybe the ground path and fruition of this ritual. Um, and I believe that uh, um, there will be information um, uh, after I talk, Janet will talk about sort of next steps and how we can make what, what we did with this ritual available to you as well. So it sort of can become a baseline for you um, uh, or, or a guideline if you want. So if you all have, something to write on. Um, I'm gonna ask you to take good meditation posture. And let's, let's begin with our ritual of bowing. 
And as we begin, I want you just to think of the question, where am I right now? Where am I this afternoon? Check in with yourself. I'm feeling curious, I'm feeling anxious, whatever it is, just acknowledge that. Welcome it to this space. And over the next several minutes, imagine that we here online are sitting in a circle together. We have entered this space with our bow. And as we create the circle, think for just a moment about who may not be here and who you would like to invite here. Maybe it is a teacher who is no longer with us. Maybe it's your ancestors. Maybe it's someone who's inspired you. Or maybe those missing cushions are for black, indigenous, people of color who don't feel welcome and have not felt welcome in our circles. Maybe we miss that. Whatever it is for you, invite those people here to join this circle. I will be inviting for my ancestors, I will be inviting the customers who were shot and killed at the gay bar in Colorado Springs early, early this morning. And our first contemplation this morning, I invite you to do this. Um, you'll need your eyes open because you're going to be writing for this. I want you to think about the hardships, your experience of loss in Shambhala. And over the next few minutes, I am simply going to repeat the phrase, what have you lost? And I'm going to invite you to write that down. For those of you who are familiar with fearlessness in everyday life, there's a practice there where we say, what are you afraid of? And we just listen to the answer and say, thank you. And we ask again, what are you afraid of? In the ritual, we did this with triads. In this circle today, with all of you and with our ancestors gathered, I'm gonna ask you simply to record it in your journal as I repeat. What have you lost? What have you lost? What have you lost? What have you lost?
What have you lost? What else have you lost? What have you lost? Spend just one more minute thinking about this. What have you lost? What have you lost? What have you lost? Now, when you're done, I'm going to ask you just to look over your list, look over the things that you've written. I'm going to ask you, where do you feel this in your body? How do you feel your losses? And once you can pinpoint that, a tightening in the stomach, a hole in your chest, whatever it is, please take a moment to welcome it in this space. It is welcome here. Now I'd like you to think about an object that could represent the hardships and the losses that we've all experienced over the past four years. This object could be imaginary. Perhaps it's a rock or a branch. Perhaps it's a Dharma book. Um, I'm just gonna show you how far-fetched this object can be. Uh, this, um, this used to hold my uh, MacBook Pro, which I did all of my telehealth sessions during the pandemic from. And uh, I literally wore my computer out and had to go get a new one. Um, and I couldn't bring myself to throw the cover away. So this actually sits on my shrine to remind me of all the people in crisis that I spoke with during the pandemic and especially during the shutdown. And there will come a time when I'm ready to release this and I will either walk it into the woods by my house and cover it with some leaves. It's actually just cloth and it's a very nice made uh, cloth and cardboard um, or I may put it in a bonfire. But for me, the cover of my MacBook Pro has become that object which represents the losses and the hardships. And in so doing becomes a teacher for me. This is the crux of our practice, y'all, that hardships are our teacher. And so I'm going to invite you as we, as we end this first contemplation to locate an object which can have and hold the hardships and the losses and to put it on your shrine 
as a reminder that this is what we need to study, to learn from, that these losses and this pain of change is in fact the best teacher we have right now. You can imagine these hardships, these losses as being somewhat present. So, so in fact, um, this iPad, or this uh, MacBook Pro cover um, becomes part of this circle now, right? And maybe if we were doing this in person, I would have a moment to take and put this in the middle of the circle or on the shrine. The second contemplation is gifts. So as we move from the first into the second, I would invite you to allow some wind horse by taking a fresh posture, taking cleansing breaths, and now I invite you to write about the gifts that you've received from Shambhala, the gifts you've, you've received from the pandemic, what has shown up for you as a gain in the midst of all of this change? I'll give you a minute to write down some thoughts. We know that trauma physically changes the brain, but the good news is, is that healing also physically changes the brain. Um, there's a book out called How the Body Grieves, which takes a neuroscientific look at changes in the brain that occur during grief. One of the things that this, um, this book points out is that all the things we've lost, we, we literally carry those inside of our brain. Our neural pathways change when we're in relationship with someone. When that someone goes away, those neural pathways are still there. So we carry all those interactions in our brain, in our mind stream. All of these benefits, all of these gifts you still have in your body, literally. Take a moment to relax into that. And now for our third contemplation. How we move from this meeting, how we go forward in life today will exist in the future. So today we become the ancestors whose shoulders people will stand on in the future. So for our next contemplation, I am going to invite you to close your eyes. Relax your body. Take a deep in-breath in. Relax any tension and let that go out with your out breath. And as we join together in this circle, I want you to imagine a color. Any color will do. Something that's resonating with you. And you realize that this encompassing light is a tunnel 
and you are now entering the future realm. As you take another deep breath, breathing in, relaxing deeply as you exhale, you enter the future Shambhala. What does it look like? Who is here? What is our community like? Don't worry about practicalities right now. Just imagine and imagine big. Take a moment to let the vision come to fruition. It's okay if it's an abstract vision. Pay attention to whatever comes through. It could be a feeling, a word, a sense, or an energetic quality. You may also see the many ancestors who have come before us standing with you. Their wisdom is available to you now. And your own wisdom is available. Now for the next few minutes with your eyes open, I would like you to answer one of these questions on your paper. How did you show up for your own healing? How did you show up for the healing of your community? Whichever way that community, whichever meaning community means for you. What transformed you? And what did you transform? You're free to answer all four questions, but with the time, I just wanted to just make sure you answer one of those. How did you show up for your own healing? How did you show up for the healing of your community? Defining community in whichever way you want. What transformed you? And what did you transform? invite you when you're done writing to close your eyes as we enter the fourth contemplation. I'll give you just a minute to finish up. With your eyes closed, I want you to see this tunnel of color again and take three deep breaths with each breath coming back into the present. Moving from the future back to Sunday, November 20th. And when you open your eyes after your three deep breaths, I really, I want you to stretch. Sort of get out of a little bit out of that trance state that we were in. And now just for a minute or two, I invite you to write in your journal anything that you want to take. 
from the contemplations that we did before. What did you hear from your future self? What words want to come as a testament or a witness or a poem? Take a minute to write down anything that you want to keep as a witness to this time together, to this circle. And I'm going to turn this over to Janet now. Um, but I'm going to invite, as, as Janet's speaking, if, if any of you would like to share a line from something that you wrote from your future self in the chat, something that has inspired you, some insight, one word, a, a complete sentence, it doesn't matter. Something you would like to share with the circle. As we turn this over to Janet, I'd invite you to type it in. Thank you. <laughs> you caught me by surprise. Um, <laughs> surprise. But, yeah, I, I, I will be brief though. Um, what increasingly makes sense to us in community conversations is um, to nourish each other to bring conversations to our home communities, local Shambhala centers or virtual situations that we find ourselves in, rather than having a group of people who um, parachute in to, to to do to lead conversations and then parachute away again. Uh, and so I think what makes sense in the context of these grieving rituals is for um, those of us gathered here to become a kind of little mini learning community on how to create grief rituals and hold them for others, see what we learn, come back and share and continue that process. And so um, I would just invite you, I've put the community conversations Gmail in the chat. Uh, if you'd like to uh, join that kind of community just for now and see what it would be like to um, participate, I think we'd like to offer uh, one or two more opportunities to have grief rituals together on Zoom and then um, support each other to have them in our local communities and see what we learn. Also we're working on a document that would um, outline the components that we used and that Jonathan mentioned here so that um, that document isn't ready for posting yet. But uh, if you email us at that address, or if you want, you could also put your address in the chat and I'll pick it up. Um, and we'll get you that document uh, and also keep you informed when we gather to um, continue this. But I know Chicago and Portland and uh, Boston and uh, Fort Collins are all here and I, I know other places. Great. Uh, it would just be really great for us to Think through this, um, I appreciate what you said, Jonathan, that it's a work in progress and it will look different in every place, in every circumstance. And yet, as a ritual, it should have a kind of um, integrity to it if it's going to be ours. So thank you. So um, some things uh, in, in this ritual um, that we, you know, that we didn't do here, uh, we, uh, when we practiced it, that that uh, what have you lost piece was done with a triad and it was done on purpose with the triad just because uh, three is always more stable than two. <laughs> uh, and we would have two people, uh, we'd have an answer, a, a questioner and an answerer. And then the third party was just a, a witness to that, right? Um, uh, the, um, 
one of the things that I know from trauma work is that an antidote to trauma is actually having a witness. So, so having a, a third person witness the the dyad becomes um, almost a, it's not just passive; it's an active antidote to the losses that we've suffered. Um, the other thing is that um, oh hi Francie, I didn't see you here. Um, the other thing is that. Um, uh, we do have, we had Tong Lin in, in this, and it's really actually quite moving. We do this after the loss piece. And then as we sit in the circle, we do Tong Lin for everybody in the circle with these losses. So imagine sitting in a circle or sitting in a room where everybody is uh, supporting everybody's loss, right? Um, and it's a really it's a it's a really lovely way that we move out of that first piece of what is loss in into the recognition that as humans we've all suffered, and um, and then we 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 frame this as the suffering and the hardship as our teacher, and then move on to what we've gained. Um, so those are those are a couple of aspects that we did not do here online that will be in the in the finished copy. Not everyone um, uh, in our group was around to sort of help with the editing process. So we wanted to send out a finished product to you. So that's why it will take, a, I, I don't know, a week or two before we, we we come up with that and get it out to you. But we're, so we're still working on that. Um, I also wanted to share with you guys some resources. Um, this is one of my favorite books. Um, I studied with Joanna Macy before I, uh, before I, I think even before I came to Naropa. Um, and this book is called Coming Back to Life. And it is full of rituals. Now, her, um, uh, her emphasis really is on uh, climate uh, change and grieving the planet. Uh, but the rituals in here come deeply out of her own Buddhist training and are really quite remarkable. Um, they all involve the natural world. So it's it's really quite lovely. This um it's called Coming Back to Life by Joanna Macy and Molly Brown. Um, and it's and it's available. The other book, which is sort of my Bible, even though I can never remember the author's name, is Francis Weller's book. Uh, um, that's the author whose name I can never remember. I I I, can't, I have a hard copy of, of, of that book that is covered in coffee stains and spilled water bottles. Um, and it is underlined uh, everywhere. Um, um, it is, it is, it does have some rituals in it. It reads like an amazing poem about grief though. <laughs> uh, he's so poetic in his writing um, that I, um, uh, and the name of the book is The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Um, and it's really quite, it's really quite beautiful. Um, and then, and then the other one that I mentioned, uh, the uh, the power of rituals by Casper Turquiel, um, uh, is a new book. I've read more than half of it, and it's really quite good. And if you want to look at creating ritual in our everyday life, that's a very good book. Uh, um, I know that I'm willing to to talk with anyone about this. Members of our group are also willing, so um, uh, they'll. We're available for resources if if anybody would like to talk further. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Jonathan. And um, yeah, it's always a, a shame to end these conversations in the formal part of the conversation. Um, but I just want to also give a, a huge thank you to Janet and Frederick um, and you, Jonathan, for sharing your experience in this in creating this brief ritual and then also coupling that with your own professional experience in this work. So yeah, thank you very much to the three of you for offering this. Yeah. Um, so to, to conclude, I would just like to mention that Sunday gatherings are offered free of charge. However, it does take significant resources to produce the gathering. So we would really warmly welcome your support and a huge thank you for all of you for being here with us today. So I hope you can join us next week and or join us again in the future for more shared practice and an opportunity to connect with our Shambhala teachings and practice. Perhaps we could bow you out now and goodbye. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe to the podcast. We hope you can join us again soon. You can find out more about upcoming live Shambhala Sunday gatherings and our podcast at shambhalaonline.org forward slash Sunday dash gatherings forward slash. 